Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us on this wonderful day. Welcome to episode one of Push and Podcast 2.0. Today, we'll be giving some basic information on three sources that we have selected. These three sources, we believe, will help us to answer our research question. That research question being, how should Washington State address the heightened arrest of individuals suffering from mental illness? The end goal of our research will be to find a solution or some sort of quote-unquote fix to help stop not only the heightened arrest of individuals with mental illness, but the general mistreatment that often happens to mentally ill people throughout the U.S.'s justice system, including incarceration. Hi, I'm Natalie. Um, So the first article today is The Mental Health Effects of Being in Prison, written by Amy Morin. Um, This article is really interesting because it really shows the current state of prisons in America and how that affects the mental health of the imprisoned. Um, According to the article, between 10% and 25% of incarcerated individuals have a quote-unquote serious mental illness, such as schizophrenia, whereas in the general population, it's about 5%. It was also found that 26% of inmates were diagnosed with a mental health condition at some point during their lives. Only about 18% of those people were taking medication for their condition when they became incarcerated, and of those who were taking medication, less than 50% were prescribed medication during their admission. The statistics and point of the article really highlight how um, really huge this issue is and why it's something we should care about as Americans. One of the main points made is that uh, incarceration takes a serious toll on mental health because they're no longer considered productive members of society. This means that you really forget what it means to have a 9-to-5 job, a family dynamic, or even just normal things like going to the grocery store or getting coffee. Being in prison really strips you of your knowledge of how the world works, and this can be detrimental to someone struggling with mental illness. Um, another point is that you lose your sense of self. You become attached to a number on your chest instead of who you truly are. And especially with uh, mental illnesses, it's really easy to lose your sense of self already especially to people who are recovering from their mental illness. Um, Like, you hear many stories of people who are no longer depressed and are trying to uh, relearn who they are as people because their sense of self was their mental illness. So already, um, people who are imprisoned with mental illnesses are really set up to fail, especially if they recover from a mental illness, because they really, how are they going to know who they are if they spent all that time mentally ill and in prison? really strips you of your sense of self. Um, when you spend your entire life trying to figure out who you are and why you're here, having that taken away in a heartbeat is horrifying. Uh, especially in America, it's really um, driven a point that you should know who you are and you should know why you're here. You have a purpose and it's your job to figure that out. Especially by the age of 18, you're supposed to know what you're supposed to do with your life and why you're supposed to be doing that. So really, um, figuring that out and having that taken away because you're in prison, it's, I can't even imagine. Um, you become less individual and more quote-unquote inmate overall. Um, so in conclusion, the article really shines a light on the present-day prison situation and why people with mental illnesses are struggling as much as they are while being in prison. So yeah, I found this article really, um, entertaining, and I, I guess in a way, 
especially to someone looking at it from a new light or a new perspective. Because you really, you don't know how big the problem is or how it can affect people like you until you read articles like this that really um, put things in perspective. And our second source is going to be a 2017 February report done by Disability Rights Washington. The report is titled, Wasted Time, Lack of Access to Programming for Inmates with Disabilities in Washington's County Jails. The authors of this report is Kaylee Beber and Kimberly Mazolf, both being lawyers. Just to provide some background on what Disability Rights Washington is, it is a federally funded nonprofit agency that monitors any disabled incarcerated individuals to ensure they are protected. Um, that is specifically what they do for the incarceration and justice system. They also monitor other aspects under the law for disabled and mentally ill people. What makes Disability Rights Washington such a good source for a research topic is because under the law, they have the authority whenever they wish to access jails, prisons, homeless shelters, psychiatric hospitals, community hospitals, and other healthcare facilities to monitor how they're treating people, what protocols they are following, and whatnot. In this specific wasted time report done by Disability Rights Washington, the main points brought up is the lack of access to programming. The three specific points under that matter was that Washington's county jails fail to make general programming and services available to inmates with disabilities, two, fail to provide adequate therapeutic programming to inmates with mental illness, and three, fail to provide reentry programming, especially for inmates with disabilities. Less than one-third of Washington's county jails provide any form of therapeutic programming. One major jail in Washington that has started addressing mental illness treatment is King County Jail. At King County Jail, mental health professionals offer weekly group therapy to some inmates in the mental health housing units, addressing skill development, psychosocial rehabilitation, and medical education, among other topics. Reentry programming, which can include connecting inmates to outpatient healthcare facilities, or training them in basic life skills and financial planning promotes effective reintegration of incarcerated people from jail or prison back into our communities. Effective reentry services can improve long-term outcomes for people leaving jail and help avoid the high cost of rearrest and repeated incarceration. These reentry programs can also focus on a specific population which are at an increased risk of rearrest like inmates with serious mental illness or cognitive disabilities. These inmates experience disproportionately high rates of jail recidivism, as high as 72%. Jail recidivism is when an inmate gets released from incarceration but ends up finding themselves back in the system, which is just basically being rearrested after release. The high arrest and rearrest rate of mentally ill people only reinforces the need for proper mental health care and reentry programming to be integrated into our jails. Without this extra help, these individuals are likely to get stuck in the vicious cycle that is being arrested, serving jail time, being released, then being arrested once more.
With the programs that are most widely available for inmates, it begins on release. Disability Rights Washington suggests that effective reentry programming begins with a good screening at booking and should follow evidence-based practices through the rest of incarceration, not starting when they are released, starting when the inmate comes into the prison. That way, by the time they are released, the rehabilitation will have most likely already happened and they will be ready to get back into the community instead of throwing them back into the community and giving them help again. titled Effectiveness of Police Crisis Intervention Training Programs is published by the Journal of American Academy of Psychiatry and Law. Um, the article opens with a really crazy line saying that uh, approximately a thousand people in the United States were fatally shot by police officers during 2018. Um, and people with mental illnesses were involved in approximately 25% of those fatalities. That is a big number. Um, this is one issue in our system that is not uh, really spoken about as much as others. Um, recently, in particular, there's been a lot of talk of police brutality and defunding the police, living in the era of uh, George Floyd and COVID. Um, but one reason this happens is the lack of mental health training for these officers. Um, police are often the first responders to people with mental illness or PMI in acute distress. And sometimes they're the only responders. Um, one of the main methods we use to combat this currently is the Crisis Intervention Training, or CIT. Um, CIT training is a specialized police cur- curriculum that aims to reduce the risk of serious injury or death during an emergency interaction between persons with mental illness and police officers. CIT has been implemented widely both nationally and internationally. In the 1990s, only 45% of the 174 responding police departments reported any specialized response to uh, people with uh, mental illness. And of those, a distinct minority, about 3 to 6%, reported using the uh, CIT model. Since then, CIT uptake has been rapid. There's approximately 400 CIT programs operating across the United States. Although this training is useful and well-intended, the article states, The core element of CIT involves 40 hours of training, usually for officers who are voluntary and self-selected. What can truly be mastered when you're given 40 hours to work on it? Although the programs are well-intended, we need more extensive training and a mandatory program for this training, instead of whatever quote-unquote self-selected means. According to the article, Some studies have demonstrated little significant difference between CIT-trained officers and untrained officers in terms of characteristics of people with mental illness, or PMI, who are diverted to psychiatric emergency services, and studies have not shown consistent reduction in the risk of mortality or death during emergency police interactions. The paper ends by stating that another concern about the use of CIT programs relates to cost-effectiveness and opportunity costs i.e. not spending money on alternatives. These alternatives could include increased use of mental health-based specialized responses or street triage, increased funding for comprehensive or assertive community outreach programs, 
for an increase in the number of beds in inpatient, acute, or long-term residential facilities. Alternatives could also include increased focus and intervention on the social determinants of mental health, or additional resources devoted to uh, preventative mental health. In their recent systematic uh, literature review, Kane concluded that, in general, diversion programs resulted in lower criminal justice costs and greater health-funded intervention costs. Even if CAT may reduce overall costs to the criminal justice system, this needs to be measured against potential costs shifted to the community mental health systems associated with successful diversion to treatment. Further research is warranted to measure the quantifiable outcomes of CAT and to consider the opportunity, cost, versus benefits of continuing to expand CAT programs. So this article is really very interesting because you really, you hear a lot about the cases of Floyd and things like that. And you never really hear what we're doing to help the situation. And even if the CAT is not as much training and obviously not getting the it's interesting to hear what they're trying to do. And yeah, it needs to be fixed. We need more programs. We need it to be mandatory. But I just, I never heard about CIT before reading this article. And I thought I gave a really good explanation. Alrighty, so those were the three sources that we selected to help answer our research question. To restate, in case you forgot what our research question was, it is, how should Washington State address the heightened arrest of individuals suffering from mental illness. The, for, the first source that we discussed was how being in prison might affect your mental health, and it talked just about that, the effects that prison can have on your mental health, as well as how it can negatively impact pre-existing mental illnesses. The second source, wasted time, lack of access to programming for inmates and with disabilities in Washington State County Jails, discusses the programs that are missing from the majority of jails in Washington State, as well as highlighted some programs that do work, such as programs in King County Jail, which would be the therapeutic and reentry programs. And the final source that we discussed was effectiveness of police crisis intervention training programs, which discussed crisis intervention training and how it can be used at the scene of the arrest to minimize negative interactions between police and mentally ill individuals. These sources show the effects prison can have on your mental health, what the issue in prisons is, and what can be done to prevent issues at the arrest. Thank you all so much for tuning in, and we'll see you at the next episode. Peace.